So here's something I'm absolutely certain about. Every child in every family, everywhere in the world wants the same three things. They wanna be seen, known, and loved. And when our kids get what they want to be seen, known, and loved, they can experience one of the very best parts about being a family, accepting and embracing each other for who we are, as we are, no matter how similar or different each person in your family may be. Discovering and celebrating the unique diversity of our kids is what we're talking about today on the Raising Them Ready podcast for parents. Here we encourage and support parents who are doing the best they know how to raise their kids to become confident, capable, and kind in an ever-changing and often unpredictable world. I'm your host, Jonathan Catherman. I'm a family man, career sociologist, and best-selling author who believes children's greatness tomorrow begins with good guidance today. Celebrating the diversity within families is what our longtime friend, Maria Hansen-Quine, does every day. Professionally, Maria is a global race and ethnic diversity and inclusion manager, children's book author, and counselor. Personally, she's super mom to nine kids. Yep, count them up, nine kids. Two biological, seven adopted. That makes Maria and her husband, Sam, plus their nine kids, a minibus size family of 11. Simply take one look at Maria's social media posts and you'll see they are literally the poster family of living and loving diversity. Every shape, color, and ability is represented in the mosaic of their home. In addition to being a practicing what she's teaching expert on family diversity, Maria also speaks worldwide about inclusion, adoption, and the importance of belonging. So welcome to a family-friendly conversation about the beauty of family diversity in raising confident, capable, and kind kids with our good friend, Maria Hansen-Quine. You have nine kids who are children, tweens, teens, adulting, and parenting. Nine kids, but you don't call them your children. You call them something very unique. I call them precious jewels. Precious jewels. Precious jewels. Who they are, all of who they are. Their diversity of each one of them, their strengths, their weaknesses, their becoming constantly becoming. I like that. Right. Who they are meant to be. Yeah. All the purposes within them. So many things. Right. So I know the story originated with you wanted to have one child of your own biologically and then one adopted child. That would be two, but the count's now at nine, two biological, seven adopted and diversity is kind of the middle name of your whole family. Yeah. I looked at your family photo recently, the one of you (laughs) on the beach it's the typical beautiful beach photo, you know, that every every family wants to have hanging in their living room over the fireplace. But I don't. I'm looking at you. I'm like, none of these yeah. people look alike. None of them. You could not pick them out as as a family if your life depended on it because <laughs> they're so diverse. Explain that to us. My family, I believe, there's five different races, seven different ethnicities. Um, biologically, four of us are connected, but we're all one. My husband and I are of a different race. Both of us born outside of the United States. He was born in South Korea. I was born in the Faroe Islands. Um, And then when we got married, yeah, we weren't sure if we wanted to have kids, but we knew we wanted to adopt. It was just in our spirit because there's so many kids in the world that need families. And we were like, why wouldn't we? We actually adopted first and then three years later had a biological son and we're like, this is perfect. This is what we want. This is all that we want. (laughs) Anyone that has lots of kids, they're crazy. And then, uh, yeah, God just like kind of wrecked us for adoption and opened our hearts to how many actually kids, millions of millions of kids 
um, globally and in the United States that need families. And that's kind of what it started one by one. We never set out to have a, a whole lot of kids. We weren't trying to do anything heroic, just trying to live the life we felt like we were supposed to. Um, so we have four kids from China. We have two kids from Ghana, which is West Africa, one adopted from the U.S. And then we have two biological biracial kids. So I'm the only blonde hair, blue eyes in our family. We've been told that we look like heaven and remind them of heaven. And we've been told we look like the United Nations. Uh, those are the positive, all the positive things we've been told. Well, when you go yeah. out to dinner as a family, you've got to have people look. We do. Yeah. I, honestly, it depends on where we are. I feel like in some places it's not as big of a deal because diversity is more the norm. Mm. And then in other places, it is a big deal because <laughs> diversity is not the norm there. And so right now we live in Arizona and I feel it less than I did in Washington state, honestly. So, mm. but yeah, we get looks, which yeah, affects my kids differently. Um, maybe then it depends on the day, right? Everything just depends on even for myself, how I receive that or, all the things of being human, how I'm feeling on that day or whatnot. So most families have two-ish kids and just finding the unique value in each one of those kids and not trying to create a mini me replication of the parent seems to be as much as most people can handle. And you've got nine children. You've got to discover the unique value in what's the secret. There was an equation. I would tell you. <laughs> Here's the recipe. We want the <laughs> you know what? It's such a like, um, I mean, I, the other thing is that my kids have varying special needs. So within my family, I have a few with ADHD, both, um, both types, um, inattentive and hyperactive, and then kids with sensory needs, kids, a daughter with spina bifida, a daughter with, um, a couple of daughters with hand difference, a son who's blind. So there's all these other things that are involved with my kids, right. With a part of who they are, then uh, seven of them are adopted. So you think about that, about discovering who they are and the journey that they, um, that they kind of embrace on. So there's so many different layers to that. But the first thing I would say for everybody is just to breathe because there is no perfect equation and there is no perfect child and we should not be straining for that um, for our kids. And so it's not like we do all these things. And then at 16, our kids are you know, the perfect version or the best version of who they can be. It doesn't work like that. And so I think it's like twofold. It's like, take the job of parenting really serious and then don't take it so serious at the same time. It's like attention, right? Right. right. You know, because we want to do everything that we can. So we want to expose them to different experiences. You know, we don't want to just, like you said, the mini me, like, look, we don't want to just look at our child and expose them to things that we want them to be involved with that we, you know, the dreams that we have for them. We want it to be things that are innate to who they are and to the purposes and their own interests. And we want to honor their hearts. And so for some of them, it is like to play on that football team. And for some of them, it is to, uh, you know, be in the band. And for some of them, it is to, uh, be out with all of the friends and with some of them it is just to be home <laughs> like it just there's such like diversity to who who each person is so in a lot of ways it's each year at a time each day at a time what is each child excited about what are they interested in what are all the different pieces that make up who they are it's like listening more so than talking 
do you do you have like sparks that you're looking for in your children like an example would be we saw early on in Cole that he was very um, analytical and he had interests in things like gaming or programming the amount of Lego structures we we've spent hours on the floor building that is just tuned into the way his brain was DNA oh. now we have Reed who wanted a stage in his room so he could perform concerts with his friends. And he was very artistic and wanted to draw and he wanted to, to paint and he wanted to perform in theater. And, and, but we saw that at a very young age. And then as time went on, they were able to get into the STEM and science clubs or get into the theater and art courses. But we saw when they were little, analytical, and we saw creative. At nine kids, how do you tune into seeing that uniqueness in each of them? <laughs> I was going to say, Jonathan, I think you got to figure it out. In some ways, I feel like I did this better when I, I'm not, when I had less kids because I was able to, like my daughter, I know she did an art class. She played soccer where she mostly just picked the flowers. <laughs> so clearly sports, not her thing. Uh, you know, you learn, right? Like you you know, you do the different things. Uh, my oldest ended up loving to dance and so she danced for like eight years, but it's introducing them to different things, not taking it personal, not pushing things on them. Um, that like, I love soccer. I have yet to have one child that has played soccer all the way through, but I'm not going to keep pressing that and keep signing them up when they're picking the, the flowers and doing cartwheels or are telling me they don't like it. And I don't, make my, I mean, as a norm, I don't make my kids do things. I, their hearts have to be engaged with it. Now, sometimes. So does know, that mean our, if they don't want to clean their room and their heart's not engaged with doing their <laughs> chores, they don't have to? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> Let's clarify. But there are I could come back and bite you when they find this podcast online and say, mom says I don't have to do chores anymore. But there's something though at the same time, like some of our kids need a nudge. And so it's learning the personality of our kids. Like, you know, again, I have nine, so I have lots of comparisons. So some of our kids will need that extra nudge. And some of them, if you, you listen and you know that that no is a healthy no, that's why I say like, yeah, my family is unique. So I do have to try to focus on nine. And now some of them are young adults. So it's that's not my job anymore. So for me, it's an ongoing journey. On the flip side, we could say there are certain things that make little humans good little humans and will make them good future adults, like learning how to self-regulate, learning how to think for themselves, learning about the world, right? Like all those things. And that is part of them discovering who they are. And that's part of nurturing that too. When they do say no, and it's a healthy no, we need to hear that. How does a parent interpret what no versus a healthy no is? I've heard kids say no a lot just because they didn't want to and they're trying to get out of something. It wasn't a healthy no. Healthy no's we should pay attention to. What is a healthy no? Oh, gosh, that's such a good question. Because, again, you have to look through that, through the diversity of who your child is. So it will depend on each child. There's not an equation, but let's say the opposite is true. Is true. You have a child that normally isn't very talkative, right? Like doesn't say a lot. And then, you know, you offer like, Hey, you know, how about this art class or whatnot? And they 
then say, no, I don't want to do it. That might be a healthy no. I mean, one of the biggest complaints that my students would give me as a school counselor was my parents don't listen. They don't listen to me, Mrs. Anzaquine, because as a school counselor, I would say, have you tried talking to your parents? You know, when they would bring concerns to me that, yes, as a school counselor, I can support, but this is really a parent should be getting involved. Uh, and the first thing would be I've tried, but they don't listen. I think figuring out a healthy no requires listening. It requires tuning into your child, maybe not just in that moment of that conversation, but like through, you know, um, kind of how they're functioning in their day-to-day, -day, paying attention to their interests. And I would say more than anything, like if your child comes to you with a no, like they're not two, let's be real. Okay, we're talking about like eight, nine-year-olds, 11-year-olds and up, right? We're not talking about little, like two-year-olds. Two who discovered the word no. We're not talking about no, that. No, that's about part who... of their development, <laughs> normal development to say no. You don't have to make a decision in that moment. It can be like, hey, I hear you. Thanks for coming to me. Let me think about this. And then can we talk about it later? Like that's, you know, we can have that uh, as a response. And then discovering the healthy no requires some like almost some investigation. Because mm. sometimes our kids, they'll tell us, no, I don't want to do it. Well, why not? I don't know. I just don't want to do it. So discovering what's behind that too, right? Is it that they really don't want to do it because they have zero interest or is it that they're afraid to do it because they don't think they'll succeed at it so that's where the like the listening or giving the nudge sometimes because we want our kids to think that they can do things and we want them to develop grit and perseverance as much as we can so it's such a like it's like this kind of clumsy, kind of beautiful dance sometimes that we do as parents. <laughs> I think every day is like that dance where I'm stepping on my own feet as a parent. Mm -hmm. Thinking about how unique our children are. When we can discover that uniqueness in them, like maybe it's athletic or maybe it's creativity or maybe it's, uh, you know, the, the healthy, no, I don't want to do this, but I know why. And then they discover something that they do like, which might become totally different than what mom and dad would ever be interested in. Like you said, none of your kids are into soccer. Yeah. Even though you love soccer. Right. How do we then communicate value to our children when we see them living in their uniqueness? Let's, how, how do we show them that this is really cool? We're proud of you. Even if it's something we don't understand. Show up, be engaged, give us authentic, you know, words of affirmation. Again, if it goes back to like the precious jewel, if we remember like the, the inherent value in specialness and we approach them in that lens, then it's kind of easy to do because you see the joy in their face over what it is that they're doing. It's just like, as a decent human, how can we not be excited about that? <laughs> You know what? It's also, it's not just setting aside our own hopes and dreams and expectations for our kids, but it's also other people. Let's be real. Sometimes it's the grandparents or the aunts or the uncles or the cousins or the coaches or whoever that we're letting have a voice in the decisions that we're making for our kids. So sometimes it's, it's like tuning that out and really just focusing on the child in front of us this little human that that's been entrusted to us that we're responsible for 
to nurture and um, support in these years. So uh, how do we, we show up, we, we tell them we're proud of them. And when we're there, we're engaged so that we can afterwards say, hey, I noticed that and that was really great. We hold back the, the criticism. Hey, you could have done this better. You could have blah, 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 blah. We're the parent, not the coach, not the, you know. To me, it seems like simple things, but perhaps again, as a school counselor, you know, you can imagine the things that I've been told and in terms of parents and not, you know, trying to sound judgmental, but we show up, we listen, we pay attention, we're engaged, we put our phones down and um, yeah, we look at, look at the little faces, be present. Be present. Yeah. I was at a sports event recently. Parano sitting next to said, I don't believe that other parent over there has ever seen their child compete. And I said, well, I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Because they're literally sitting in the stands. I said, they come and they get on their phone and they, they're on social media or they're doing work. They're here. They're physically present in the building. But I think it's only because they're acting as the Uber driver. Mm-hmm. And it's too far to go back and forth. So they just come and they just, they come in the door and they disengage. And I thought, oh, that's pretty terrible. Uh, And then you watch the kids and they see when parents are paying attention or not. Yeah, for sure. Be it a sports event or a school event or even just playing outside. I think you're right. We need to be more engaged with our kids. There's a limited amount of time we have available with them. And I'm not seeing kids rule the world. I I don't believe that children should rule the home. I don't either. <laughs> but but there are times where we need to be fully engaged in their world, not the other way around. We forget about like the old school kind of values, like family dinners, like spending time just throwing around if they like sports, you know, football in the back, um, just sitting together and reading a book together. I think sometimes that, that gets lost. And that's where I, you know, talked about the busyness. And I think that's part of how we know what our kids are into is we're spending time with them um, where we are engaged and not distracted to who they are. And I get it. I get it's hard. Uh, I get there's, you know, as adults, there's all different things that are going on in our lives. Right. But that's a big part is we have to, yeah, we have to be pouring into and investing and we can't do that unless we're spending time. So um, well, with nine children, that, that time gets divided up pretty quickly, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I let's be real. Like, even when we have one child, then we're going to, you know, have a second. And we're like, how could we possibly love two kids? Like, and the heart grows. It's not like your heart, you know, has to be then be divided into nine pieces. It's not like dividing love. Grow. No, you're not dividing love. And certainly you're dividing time. Um, but it's not, I mean, there's two of us. So that's the thing too, is that I would say in our family, both my husband and I are pretty engaged, hands-on parents. Yeah. I mean, we certainly don't do it perfectly, but we tend to, even ourselves tend to not pick up our phone until like we put our phone down. So that time, it's amazing how much time you actually have if you're, okay, just going to sound what it sounds like, but not watching TV, not on your phone, not gaming, Cause really like, if you think about this, you know, the every day and, um, and that's just, that's part of our family values. And so, um, we actually have a lot of time 
every day to invest into our kids. And sometimes it's the five minutes that's way more meaningful than the 30. So it, it and again, the diversity of who, of who each one of our kids is and what they need and what pours into them. But I'm going to ask one of those questions. I'm certain every parent is thinking right now, they have nine children, two adults, that's 11 people. That's a lot of laundry and dishes. <laughs> How do you get all the laundry and dishes done and not just be you know, you know, overwhelmed with counter space just stacked up with dirty dishes or a laundry room that's you know two feet deep and stinky clothes? You come up with a system and for each family, that system will be different and, and it's value system. So true story and my my personal value is clean counters and no dishes in the sink. Like that's a value for me and my husband, both of us, we're on the same page. So wait, okay, so that's a value. Again, I'm gonna speak for the other parents that that would be my value too, but my kids just come in and put the dishes on the counter and walk away. How do you manage to have a clean counter? <laughs> uh, we have, well, we do have daily chores. And so uh, every child has a chore and we've thought it through strategically. What's the most important thing to me? Dishes not in the sink, right? So one of the, the chores is to scrub the dishes and put them in the dishwasher. And so, yes, that's enough of a chore for that one human, right? And then another child's chore is to wipe the table and the counters. So you kind of have to think a little bit strategically. So you divide and conquer. One kid's loading the dishwasher while the other one's wiping down the counters. You know, different philosophy on chores. For me, like, for me personally, I feel like one chore. And then, you know, there might be things on Saturday sometimes that we all kind of pull together and do. And then the laundry question, uh, Jonathan, uh, my husband does the laundry, so that's how I solve the laundry. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> Sam, you are the man. Well so, done, brother. Yeah, he's very organized and efficient, clearly. But um, and and but as we added kids, honestly, it depended on the child. Um, seventh, eighth grade, they we've stepped into them doing their own. I'm not. And so, and even, you know, um, we have different varying needs within our family. I do have a daughter with significant mental illness that's really impacted our family the last couple of years. And so even like they carry the laundry basket down, they can, they can. Now you, you, you have to adjust your expectations here if you're asking kids to fold and put away because it's <laughs> different skill level. <laughs> you talk about like fine motor skill. Oh, I mean, there's so many different things, organization, things that come into play, but. Okay, so um, your real family is what you're telling us. I have three kids with ADHD, one fairly significant that was just struggling to follow the directions on the washing machine. This is how I operate. This is a good example. When I say you, you look at each child holistically, you look through the diversity of who they are and we accommodate, like I'm a school counselor. So I accommodate within a school, like that's part. And like, that's my advocacy. That's my role within the classrooms. And I do that at home. Well, I wrote down one, all the steps directly on the washing machine. You like pasted one. them to the washing machine? No, I wrote it with a Sharpie. Well, like with you, a wrote, well, you, you wrote on your washing, washing machine, machine with a Sharpie pin. <laughs> Step one, open yeah, door. Step two, pretty much. <laughs> drop, so, drop in dirty I'm, clothes. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm serious. Because, you know, it's such a balance too. I mean, I alluded like the mental illness, kids with mental health, trauma history. So I do really, I cannot, there's not one method for each child right but i'm constantly looking at like she's got to be able to do her own laundry she can't be like 
dad doesn't ask me for laundry because you know they learn dad can you come help me like we want them we want them to become independent like as much as I'm like one of those I really am I have to work against being like the the mother hen that has all of her um they wouldn't even be ducklings because now I mix two birds but you you get the idea like all around you know <laughs> the mother loving on alone yes with her chicks but we want them to become independent and so we again for me I it's really so different for a child but yeah that's what I did I wrote and she, honestly she appreciated it and she was a teenager by then so it wasn't like like she wanted to be able to do that on her own and not be you know counting on us to do it but just her her brain struggled to organize it. So well, um, think and, about the four parenting styles and when you have high expectations of your children, but mm -hmm. you are able to respond to their unique needs, you know, that makes you an authoritative parent, which is the highest level of parenting, most effective, the most, the most loving, the most unique to the, the demands of, of each one of us in the family. If we were authoritarian, we would just tell them, do your laundry. If, and if you have a problem figuring it out, Google it, but do your right. laundry here. You right. took a Sharpie pen and wrote on your washer <laughs> okay. machine because that you knew that's how your daughter would respond. Yeah. What she needed parents. You need to get over to our raising them ready.com webpage and download the free parenting styles assessment. It'll really be helpful to you to see the four different parenting styles, what expectations and how responsive we are as parents to our kids. And then you'll also find out some areas that, that you can be affirmed in and some areas that you can improve in. We all as parents need to be able to improve because we need to be able to meet our kids where they are, but also not tout to them just because, you know, we're helicoptering and, and bowing to their needs. So yeah, get over and, and check out that parenting styles assessment. Because then again, in a house of nine kids, two adults, 11 people, there's 11 different personalities there. That's mm -hmm. a lot of lifting. That's, that's a lot of love. That's a lot of everything. So kindness, like kindness is a standard, right? And people wonder, how do you do it? Well, the standard is kindness. You don't mm. have to agree with somebody. You don't have to like what they're doing, but you do have to be kind. And there's, it, that's not perfect. Um, I think I have at least three signs that say be kind in my kitchen. So, so everywhere you look, you're reminded, oh yeah, be kind. Be kind. <laughs> so I don't have to say it because, you know, they do get tired of sometimes the repeat, um, but that is a standard in my house. That's like a non-negotiable. I'm going to be on their team and care about them no matter what, whether I agree or disagree with what they're doing. It doesn't mean that I won't speak truth. I still think that they're precious and I'm proud of them. And so for me, you know, when I've taught about diversity, like in a classroom um, or teach about it at an adoption or foster care conference, like diversity is the collective pieces of who we all are pieces so in each one of us there's pieces you know puzzle pieces it's not one piece it's all the different pieces that we are and then it's all of our collective pieces right and so and that's an important piece though too to uh, raising our kids to be kids that are confident and care about other people and are kind um, is to teach them yeah that there's lots of pieces to who they are and there's lots of pieces to who other people are and there's not a certain way to be it's not like I would say like, who decided like what is, I hate this word, but I'm going to use it. Who decided what's normal? What even is that? 
all the research that's out there, all the things that are happening in the world, I get bothered that we even still kind of use that because there's a set or unset standard of what should be. I mean, even within families, who decided? When did we decide? I mean, and I know, I know the history of it, but why are we still following that? Why are we still putting these... It's, it's easier, easier. <laughs> because what you're... you're talking about is diversity. <laughs> and for someone to accept diversity means I have to look past myself and I'm barely, I'm barely accepting of myself anyway. And now I have to be accepting of others. That's hard work. I guess so. It requires personal work. Right. And I think that's part of it as, as parents is that that's part of, um, you know, part of our job. And so how do I do it with my kids? I teach them that there's a bunch of pieces that make up who they are. It's not just one thing. So if they're successful at something awesome, but it's not still not the main thing of who they are. And if they're not successful, if they fail at something, so what? Because there's so many pieces. So that makes them a mosaic. Beautiful. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about how diverse we actually are. So I've done the math and then I wrote about it in the books, Guiding the Next Great Generation and Becoming the Next Great Generation. And here is how unique we actually are as one of one creations. There is 8,324,608 possible combinations of your 23 chromosome pairs. <laughs> that's a lot, right? That is a yeah. lot. That's, a, that's like, whoo. Yeah. Wild. But you really want to have your mind blown? Check this out. The calculation of variant forms of the human genes rounds out to approximately 70 trillion, 368 billion, 744 million, 177,664 total possible combinations. That means there are literally trillions more possible combinations of who you are, what makes you up you, than there has ever been the number of people who've lived on our planet. So I agree with you. Different isn't just good, it is actually how we are DNA'd. Right. And when we can see those differences and value them and the mosaic that we are, how wonderful. And I love that you call your children jewels because when I hear the word jewels, I actually picture like this treasure chest. Mm -hmm. And when you lift the lid, it's not a uniform color and size. Mm -mm. It's a, mm -mm. a brilliance of different colors and shapes. And how amazing that is. You call your children jewels. Yeah. And I wholeheartedly believe, like there's not a part in me that does not believe the diversity and I'm all different kinds of diversity of a, like, let's say of a family that that actually makes that family stronger and better. The same as of a classroom, the same as of a community, the same as of a nation, you know, we can keep going, but it actually makes the family better. <laughs> like all the, you know, I mean, you described your boys and the different things that they're into. I mean, it actually makes your family better. The things that you and your wife, Erica, have learned from them because of how they are different from you has actually made you a better human. If we just break it down to that. And it's, you've learned things that you didn't think you would ever learn. And now, you know, and you've pressed into and been in, in rooms that you never thought you would because of the interest of your child and you honoring that and nurturing it. Right. And so it's actually, it's, it's like, I mean, it's this beautiful opportunity that we call life is to walk into the diversity of who each one of our kids is um, because it, on the end of the day, it makes us better humans. And 
again, value. I would hope that's a value that we all want is to keep growing and becoming better of, of who we are and who our kids are. What do you wish parents were interested in about diversity within their own children? What I would say to that is that I wish parents were interested in the diversity of the kids that are around their child. We so focus in, zone in on teaching them about the diversity of who they are that we don't actually teach them about the world. And part of that is the kids that are just there beside them. That's actually, I would say, my heart. Um, but as a school counselor, as a mom, kids in general don't know what to do when they're faced with kids that are different from them or families that are different from them. So the one thing that I would say is to teach them that there isn't a standard. I mean, I could tell you experiences from the last several weeks of things that have been said that have been straight out mean to my kids on the bus, on the playground, here by our house, things that have been actually said. Um, and it's not the first time. It's just, you know, I kind of, as a mom of kids with varying needs, I keep expecting uh, the world to mature, become decent, become kind. And what I am kind of more so as a norm seeing that that's not happening. And so that is my reality um, that I live out every single day. You know, somebody's made fun of my son because he's blind or made fun of my daughter because of her hand difference or said a comment to my Chinese daughter about that she's going to start wars She's in fourth grade. Like this is all true things that have happened. Um, and so teach them about the diversity of the world and teach them how to handle things that to them might be a difference, but it's really actually just a beautiful part of diversity. And at the end of the day, be kind, be kind. Be kind. Maria, you've been an exceptional model of that, both in your home and in your career in this country and in the other countries you travel to and speak about diversity. So thank you very much for modeling it first with your family and then with us. It is greatly valued. Yeah, 100%. Well, thanks for having me. Awesome what you're doing. Say hi to Erica. Okay, my friend. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining Maria and myself in today's conversation about the beauty of family diversity. To learn more about Maria's work, her children's books, or to arrange to have her come talk to your organization about diversity and inclusion, check out the links in the show notes. If you're enjoying and learning from this and other episodes of the Raising the Ready podcast, be sure to get a copy of the Raising the Ready book. It's available wherever you buy your print, digital, or audiobooks. There you'll also find our other best-selling life skills and personal development books and resources for tweens, teens, young adults, parents, educators, and mentors. To learn more about booking me as a guest speaker for your youth, parent, educator, professional development conference, or about my consulting services, please just send me a message through our social media pages, or you can email me through our website. You can find, like, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Raising Them Ready Podcast, or on our website at RaisingThemReady.com. Also, please follow and leave us up to a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions about topics or guests you'd like us to bring to the Raising the Ready podcast, I'd like to hear from you. Contact me through our social media pages or website, again, on Facebook and Instagram at Raising the Ready podcast and online at RaisingTheReady.com. Now parents, go and enjoy raising your kids. Knowing your child's greatness tomorrow begins with your guidance today. <laughs>